Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and we are welcoming back Rad Al, a.k.a., well, actually it's JMD Board, a.k.a. Rad Al. <laughs> Here we go. We got it right. Thanks for coming back on, man. It's my pleasure. And we have a great subject to talk about today. Edgar Casey, who is um, a great source of information and someone that opened my mind to a lot of things that it was closed to before. So I'm looking forward to this. I am too. And I don't particularly know a whole lot about Edgar Casey. Um, can you give my listeners a sort of like an overview of who he was and where he came from? Sure. And I'll weave it in with my understanding of him and how I got introduced to him. Awesome. Um, more than 20 years ago, I was uh, encountered a book um, that was about him. It was called The Sleeping Prophet. And it was about his life. Edgar Casey was born in, I believe it was 1875 in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And this was a very fundamentalist area of the country. He was uh, very religious and uh, devoted. He, from a young age, showed the, a, re a remarkable sensitivity. Uh, very sensitive child, uh, very intelligent, but, you know, he, he didn't talk a whole lot. So people kind of wondered, you know, what's up with Edgar over there? He doesn't say a whole lot. <laughs> but boy, his eyes are very observant. You know, you can tell something's going on in the kid's head. So he had an experience in his uh, early teens when he said that um, an angel visited him uh, in a dream and told him that he could um, basically have a wish granted. He could have a power that he wanted. And he, he said that he wanted the power to help people. So um, the years go on and um, Edgar started showing some signs of having empathic abilities to sense what was going on with people. Um, and then through a series of events, um, he was, he unlocked the gift that you could say that was given to him in that dream by that angel. He found that he had the ability to go into a trance like state, kind of like hypnosis, except very deep and that he could get answers to things that were needed for people in his life. Um, uh, one of them was his uh, wife uh, the, or the woman that became his wife. Um, it also began on himself. He, he became mute for a while. He couldn't speak and he would have these fainting spells and stuff. And um, while in a trance uh, or like they thought he was asleep, but he was actually in trance and a voice started speaking through him to advise his loved ones how to help him. And this was the beginning of his career as a psychic and as, well, what he's known as the father of holistic medicine in the West. Casey came up with treatments for things. Um, and remember, this is a century or longer ago when he was coming up with things. So before the age of modern medicine, and he could uh, diagnose and treat the illnesses and conditions uh, of all kinds. 
So the readings that he left behind, they called these readings. And what it was is he would basically, he would lay down and take a nap. And just as he was falling asleep, someone in the room with him would give him a suggestion for part of his mind to stay awake. So the body and the personality of Edgar Casey would go to sleep, but this other part of him was able to then speak through him and people could ask him questions. He, uh, he got to be very well known over time, um, eventually leading to, um, I believe he was on the cover of Time Magazine or People, it might have been People Magazine, um, but um, he eventually got to be very well known for the readings that he gave related to health. Um, the association he left behind, the Association for Research and Enlightenment has um, recorded over 15,000 of these readings. And they cover subjects that are everything from like what we just discussed, health readings. And then he started, um, as time went by, he started discussing other things, um, such as the existence of uh, Atlantis and Lemuria. Um, he talked about changes coming to the earth. He, he gave a lot of um, spiritual readings, which a lot of them were related to past lives, which you and I have done an episode where we talked about past lives and reincarnation. Edgar Casey was the start of that for me because I read about it in the book and his health readings were verified by so many people. And there were, there were so many accounts of the good that he did for people. And in his, when you read his own words about why he did the things he did, you can see a man who deeply loved people and would do anything that he could for them. So he seemed to me like a trustable source Plus, he was a devout Christian, and many of the things that he channeled that went against Christian doctrine and dogma, he struggled with himself as a fundamentalist Christian. He was a Sunday school teacher. I mean, this guy was really <laughs> deep into it. He, they said that he read the Bible at least once through, beginning to end, for every year that he was alive. And he could quote scripture and, you know, but he... I, he was someone that I, I came to trust because I grew up as a Christian too. And when I encountered subjects such as reincarnation, I thought, man, that's kind of a Buddhist thing, isn't it? You know, because the indoctrination I had from years in the church had closed my mind to it. Um, and when I saw that Casey was channeling information about reincarnation, I thought, well, man, maybe there is something to this. And so it started me off on this path. So that's how I got involved with Casey, and that's where I've done a lot of research, uh, reading about him, autobiographies and biographies of him. I'm a member of the Association for Research and Enlightenment, which is the association that he left behind in Virginia Beach as part of his legacy. Um, and I'm also the, one of the moderators of the Edgar Casey Forum at reddit.com. So Edgar Casey, C-A-Y-C-E dot Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. And um, it's still a small community, but we, are, um, we have some people there who are very interested in Casey also. And I try to uh, um, help to lead that community. So it's a subject that's very, or, or very interesting to me, Gary. That's awesome. You know, I, I, um, was, was, I, I've looked at some of his writings and I find it sometimes difficult to follow because of the format. Um, yeah, like how they have the the, uh, the number of the person 
and yeah and the archaic language yeah he's, used, he's almost like he's he speaks like he's reciting from the 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 king james bible lots of these and vowels and stuff like that um but that was the voice that spoke through him when he was in that trance-like state you know this voice that came out of him and talked it was you know it spoke in that kind of language which was by the way very different than the way that casey spoke you know, he was uh, he was kind of a simple guy from uh, from Kentucky, you know, and then he would talk about these things that were concepts and subjects from medicine and science and archaeology that he had had no exposure to. Um, in fact, uh, some of what he talked about, they had to bring in specialists to be able to understand him because he would talk about concepts and ideas from, say, medicine, and they would need to refer to physicians to be able to understand exactly what he meant. Um, so, yeah, it can be a little um, uh, of a bit of a challenge to understand Casey's writing. Um, he not only the language that he spoke in, but also the way that the, re the readings are referred to. They give numbers. So it'd be like, you know, reading number, you know, 1086.5. And it will take you right to something that he said during that reading. It's almost like reading scripture. You could say, you know, well, yeah. in Matthew 16, okay, well, that's the reading. It's the, and then you want to refer to something specifically he said during the reading. And you go, well, no, it's Matthew 16, you know, three through eight. And that they, they have their own way of coding it so that other people could um, uh, be able to refer later on to those readings which by the way, there have been a number of scholars who have gone through the readings and indexed them. And they're also um, searchable now um, online when you get a uh, membership to um, ARE, Association for Research and Enlightenment, um, you get access to their database and all of his readings are searchable and you can search by subject. Although I would recommend also that there have been many um, scholars and authors who have um, pulled together different subjects from all these different readings that occurred over a span of decades. So you could say a health reading. Okay, that's a subject. Well, what about something specific like the health of the gallbladder or the circulatory system or, you know, um, uh, how to treat psoriasis or uh, how to deal with migraines? There were things that Casey recommended that were specific for the people he was doing the readings for at the time, but that other people have um, replicated and applied those treatments to themselves. So you can find a lot of good information, but I would say to any listener who gets interested in it to first go to the ARE website, edgarcasey.org, um, to find what they have said about it because there are some people out there who have tried to use his name to um, peddle their own um, ideas formulas natural cures and stuff like that and well you know it's not always accurate right um with his medical predictions um did any like common cures for certain diseases come out as a result of it many many treatments came out of his uh, readings. I'll give you a personal story. Um, my uh, wife was having um, gallbladder pain for a while. And we, I referred to the Casey readings to help give some ideas about how to treat it. We, we looked at other sources too. The doctors were all saying, you're going to need surgery. 
And um, we looked for other uh, ways of treating it first. And one of the sources we used was the Edgar Casey readings. Um, and she, to this day, still has her gallbladder. It's not to say that everyone will have the same results. Mm -hmm. um, Casey did say that there are, there are times and places where um, allopathic medicine is, you know, modern Western medicine is the way to treat something. He even at times recommended specific doctors and treatments. In one very um, famous case, he, now remember when he gives these readings, the, the, there, it's mostly through letters that were sent to him where people were asking for his help. And he would be in another state. Sometimes it came from people who were in other countries. And he would go into his, you know, into his trance-like state and he would channel the information for them. And then um, his secretary or his wife would write it down and then they would write a letter back and they would recommend the treatments to, you know, so everything was going back and forth via mail. So the point is, is that he was, the, the people were not in the room with them. Oftentimes he didn't even know who they were. And when he would go into the trance, he would be able to see that person that he was doing the reading for in his mind. And then he could see within their body to see what was going on and then get the insights about what he could recommend medically. And in one famous case, he even said, there is a pharmacy in your town um, located at such and such place, and um, they have a bottle of this rare, um, uh, it was like an elixir. And he said, go to that uh, pharmacy and get the elixir. So the person, they get the recommendation, they go there, and they can't find it. So they go back and ask Casey again. And he says exactly where it is. He's like, well, it's, you know, on such and such shelf. And it's, it's been back there for a while. So it's kind of gotten behind some other bottles. You'll have to move some things around and you'll find it. It turned out to be exactly where he said it would be. Remember, he's in a trance in another state. He's never been to that town. He's never been to that pharmacy but he was able to see it all in his own mind. He did this over and over again. It wasn't just a one-off thing that he did. Casey did it thousands of times where he was able to channel information that should have been unknown to him. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it is. And he was a, he was an inc a remarkable person. It's um, crazy. I can't even find my keys. <laughs> he, he, he would probably be able to tell you where to find them. And then, and then he would say, next time you can rely on your own intuition and guidance to find your own keys. He would teach you ways that you would be able to talk with your uh, own uh, subconscious mind because you know subconsciously where the keys are. Or maybe even there's another source. Maybe you don't even know subconsciously where the keys are, but there is a source that you can draw on that does know where it is. Casey said that he drew from the Akashic Records, which is one of the names given to a record of all time and human activity which is written into the very fabric of space-time itself. Space-time is referred to as a fabric. Um, Einstein referred to it as a fabric because the idea is, is that it is stretchable and malleable. 
and that the, there is actually subatomically a way that it's like a recording medium for everything that happens in time. And that includes what the heck happened to your keys. That is an event that happened, you know, oh, you know, they, they're, they're down in the couch because they fell out of your pocket, you know, and you didn't hear it or know it. And they're way down in your couch. You have no idea where your keys are, though. So now you're looking for them. And then there's something that pops into your mind and you go, why don't I go look in the couch? And sure enough, they're there. I can't tell you, Gary, how many times I've been able to re- to do that for myself where there's something that's lost. And what I do is I go, if I was Gary's keys, where would I be? And I just close my eyes, focus on a spot between my brows right there close to the third eye. And I just clear my mind and wait for something. It's usually not like a voice saying, thou shalt look in the couch for the keys. (laughs) It's just more of a feeling that comes to Uh me like, oh, well, why don't I go look in the couch? And it's not to say that it works every time, but I've done it so many times that I know that there's something um, that there's something really interesting there and that it works. Huh. I want to have to give that a try because it sounds like it's a lot more effective than just ripping the house apart like I normally do. <laughs> yeah, you save yourself a lot of time and trouble. <laughs> My wife will come home and there's cushions all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, so he was able to teach people how to do this. Yes. Yeah. He, he said that the things that he was able to do, that anybody could do it and that they just had to basically start doing it, but to also to have the belief and the open-mindedness and also to have their heart in the right place. Um, he, he, Casey was a strong believer that the, um, that the the person's motivations really determines much of who and what they really are. He said that the, the there's uh, everything begins with spirit and then it levels up to mind and then expresses itself physically as body and as material, but that everything begins in spirit. So he was a very deeply spiritual man and he did his best to live up to his own ideals um, as a spiritual person and as a Christian, as a very deep believer in Jesus. And he, um, when you have your mind and your heart and your spirit all aligned and they're all in the right place and you have the right motivations for things, he said that uh, you could do the same things as, as he did. And he taught people how to do it. In fact, the um, Association for Research and Enlightenment has become a sort of mecca for many of things that are, let's just call them new age spiritual beliefs. Um, And they're not even beliefs, they're practices. That's a better word. Um, So I've participated in some of their um, seminars and workshops and stuff that are related to subjects such as past life regression, um, holistic healing, developing intuition and empathy and psychic abilities. Um, They have many uh, world renowned people who come and uh, participate in their um, symposiums and workshops and stuff. Um, The author Dean Radin, who is uh, famous as a scientist who's studied um, psychic abilities along with a lot of other interesting subjects, um, was just recently on um, part of a conference that they gave. 
Um, they have one coming up that's going to explore some of the mysteries of ancient Egypt. Um, Casey had a lot of very interesting things to say about the history of Egypt, about um, the true origins of the pyramids and the Sphinx. Um, he saw himself um, in a past life uh, more than 10,000 years ago as a high priest in very ancient Egypt, before we the recorded history of Egypt, where um, he was working with um, Atlantean survivors, the survivors of the apocalypse of Atlantis, had um, some of them had come to Egypt and they uh, taught him as high priest and worked with him to build uh, the pyramids. But what happened over time, over thousands of years, is the stones deteriorated and then there were um, other Egyptian civilizations that rose up and rediscovered the pyramids and rebuilt them or repaired them. And that's the what we that's why we consider the pyramids to be around 4000 years old because what we have been looking at and measuring as uh, in our in the science communities is actually the renovation they the original pyramids that were built over 10000 years ago so uh, has he ever talked anything about the um the library that's supposedly beneath the sphinx oh yeah he was the person that pointed out where it is now, this is what he called the Hall of Records. He said that the ancient civilization um, uh, that were the remnants of the Atlantean civilizations um, had gone to three places in the world after the apocalypse that took Atlantis under the waters. And that they kept these Hall of Records. And one of them is under the left paw of the Sphinx. Um, one of them is in the Yucatan and I can't remember where the third one is right now. Um, and the one in Egypt has gotten the most attention. And Edgar Casey's foundation has funded um, many um, archaeological uh, explorations there. And in fact, they've, they've discovered that there really is a chamber that is underneath the left paw of the Sphinx and um, they're trying to get access to it, but they have been kind of shut down by the Egyptian government um, when the, um, the government of Hosni Mubarak was overthrown. Um, all of the, the research being done um, in that direction towards uncovering what's underneath the Sphinx, that was all shut down. So, um, yeah, what Casey said was that they they were able to store information in crystals and that that information about the, um, about the Atlanteans, um, about the origins of the human species, about their incredible knowledge of um, things related to uh, science, nature, is all recorded there and kept in these crystals that are going to be sort of a, it's like a holographic record. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's data, but it's kept holographically. And Casey said that when humanity is ready to receive that information, that the hall of records will be opened. Did he give a date for that? No, no, no. He just said when we're ready. Um, and apparently we aren't ready yet. We would rewrite our history books for one, 
but it would also change our understanding of ourselves as human beings. One thing that it would do is it's going to prove, or that it will do, and I, I know that this is coming, it's going to prove that humans are not meat puppets. And what I mean by that is, is that our modern idea for over the last few centuries of science has conceived of everything in nature as being machine-like, and that human beings are just these um, biological meat puppets with a sophisticated computer mounted on top known as our brain, and that we're nothing more than that. But what we're going to prove is, is that the origins of us as conscious beings begins in spirit. We're going to prove that life is eternal and that you have many lives that you live uh, re through reincarnation and that there is ultimately behind this, there is a benevolent, intelligent source behind all of creation and life, what we call God. It, it sounds, it sounds a little bit like... Like multi-dimensional type of existence. Um, he did speak some of that. He referred to things such as um, spirit guides um, and to there being something akin to what we would call now an oversoul. That is a, um, it's sort of a spiritual structure that bonds together all of your lives that you will live through all of earthly time all of those existences. Casey said, in fact, that you have existences on other planets um, also and in other forms, not just human form. And that there is this structure that holds it all together that is sort of a multidimensional being. It's outside or above, um, thinking of it kind of um, figuratively, but there also might be, say, a mathematical truth to it in the sense of dimensions that there is this structure, spiritual structure to every human being that is in a, it's multidimensional. So it's not just in our three dimensions um, plus one dimension of time that we experience as, as material reality, but there is also a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and other dimensions. Um, and so, yes, there is this, um, um, you, you could say that we are all multidimensional beings but that we have a human experience where our perceptions are very much limited to um, what we can experience while in our bodies. Um, so what was, I mean, was his goal through all this to um, help humanity? And that appears to be what he had reincarnated many times to do. He was a helper. He was um, sort of like a prophet in a way. Um, but uh, he was a prophet that instead of going up high on the mountain and, you know, talking to the burning bush, kind of a Moses reference there, um, <laughs> that he, would, he, he wanted to be down in, in the trenches with humanity. And so, um, you know, one of his past lives was in Egypt and he was referred to as Rata. Um, he was one of the high priests, but he also saw himself in um, lives where he he was a follower of Jesus, and he lived in um, the area of Palestine when Jesus was alive. Um, he 
he, he saw himself also in lives that maybe weren't so idealistic and high-minded. Um, he said that he had lived a life on the American frontier as a sort of a woodsman. And he said that he was kind of a heavy drinker and got in a lot of fights and he was gruff and, you know, he wasn't a very nice person. And um, so he saw himself in, in that life. And um, so he said that this is something that we all experience, that we need to be able to see from both sides of the fence, sort of speak, you know, that you can live lives where you might be almost saintly, and then you can live lives where you're kind of devilish. And he said that in all, and from the a viewpoint above, as a spiritual creature, that all of these experiences are valuable and they all go into making you into this greater being, which with each life is increasing its capacity um, and becoming more like its creator. There was something that Casey said that had a, a lot of things that had a very deep impact on me, but one of them in particular has really stuck with me is he said that as humans, that we are all created in the image of God as co-creators with God, that a part of us is also a part of God, and that we are meant to be co-creators. And what this did for me is it freed me to accept and love myself as I was, warts and all, bad habits or whatever, and all, of course, I, I want to improve myself. You know, I want to live up closer to my, I, I want to better live up to my ideals. You know, I want to improve myself um, physically, mentally, and spiritually. But that, you know, like when I, like say, when I, sometimes when I'm in prayer, I can be a little irreverent. Uh, God might even be hearing a cuss word or two come from me because <laughs> that's just sort of the person that I am. And it, when I had this idea, when it really absorbed it, I went, wow, wait, I'm a co-creator along with the creator of the freaking universe. I went, yeah, yeah, that means that I'm created the way that I am for a reason and that there's something that's unique about me that contributes to that big picture. And I'm good with that. And in fact, it gives me a sense of of, um, of responsibility and mission that goes beyond just for myself and my own life, which I hope is in a way making me also follow in the footsteps of Edgar Casey, because he also lived his life with a very strong sense that it wasn't just his life, that he was here for a reason in body. And part of that reason, a big part of that reason was to help people heal and grow and advance and come closer to their creator. That, that, that's a very profound realization. And, and I look at that too from another side too. When you realize that you're co-creating with a higher source, that would also mean so is everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah, so right. that means I have to kind of get off my high horse to stop judging everybody. Yes. Yes, it does. And you look around at everyone around you and you realize that the same creator that created you, that same spark of light that is in you is also in them and that they are having their experience of life for their own reasons. 
but it all goes into a big reason that there's this thing that created everything that is trying to teach us how it did it, to teach us what it is so that we can evolve and become more like it and actually be co-creators along with it. Casey used that word, co-creator. It's, it's, it's not codependent. You know, it's not, it's instead of being, I mean, it's kind of like a parent to child relationship, but what happens when the child grows up? To become you know, independent. The child, yeah. And assumes all of the, you know, the, the, the power that the adult has as the creator of their life, you know, of, of creator of a family. Um, then the child grows up eventually to then be that adult who is also a creator. And in a spiritual sense, that's what we're all doing is we're growing up. We're learning through this experience of life. Casey was one of the first people, this is now an idea that's very widespread, but he was one of the first people to say that life is like a classroom, that we plan our experiences that we will have here in body while we are in spirit and that we plan it out for what we can learn from it. That's one of the reasons why in one life you might be, you know, saintly and another life you might be, well, let's just say less than saintly, that it's all part of this, you know, process that we're going through because, you know, the less than saintly people are also God's creations. There was, um, there's a guy named Jordan Peterson who is um, known for bringing Carl Jung's teachings into the modern day. He's, he's a professor of uh, psychiatry and he's gotten very well known because he wrote a best-selling book. He has a very popular YouTube channel. And in one of his lectures, he talks about how he worked with, um, he worked in the prison system um, and that he encountered a lot of criminal psychopaths that he would be, um, in a room with someone who is describing doing something um, uh, to another human being, you know, torturing them to death, uh, killing their children, um, just, you know, doing these horrible, terrible things. And he said that at first that he was repulsed by what he was, he's, I can't, he, he couldn't believe that there were such people in the world, but he's like, yeah, you're in prison for it and you're admitting that you did it right here to me. So, these things, people really can do these things. They really are capable of it. And he said that his reaction was like, well, I could never do something like that. And then he said he thought about it more deeply. And he said, well, what if I grew up in their shoes? What if I was taught the things that they were taught? What if I had a father who was physically abusive and um, made me fight for my life because he thought that that was the way that a child should be raised in a tough and cruel world that, you know, it's survival of the fittest and that you need to be somebody capable of extreme violence because you, that's, that's how people survive. And he said that he thought through all of this and he, what he realized is, is that with a twist of fate that he could have been those people that he was interviewing, that he could have been capable under the right circumstances, not as the person that he was, as, as, you know, as, the, as the man that he grew up to be with you know, strong parenting and good morals and values and you know, an ethic of being compassionate and kind to people. Um, but if he was instead grew up in an environment that was like the people he was interviewing, he said, you know, I could have been them. 
And there's something that's really deep that comes out of that is that as soon as you start trying to judge other people for what they are and who they are, you got to look at it and say, well, walk a mile in that person's shoes and then ask yourself if you're really so different than them. And you'll find if you're really honest with yourself that there's not as much of a difference as you think. In fact, if you believe what Edgar Casey says, that when you strip away all of the pretenses and everything else and you get down to the foundation, the base of what we all are, we're all coming from the same source and we're all made of the same stuff. Wow. So that alone can help people cultivate a lot of compassion towards each other. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you stop seeing, when you stop judging people and you start seeing through the surface appearance of them, then you start and realizing the common humanity of everyone. When you see them, you're really seeing yourself in a way at the deepest, most fundamental way you are actually seeing yourself. Uh, We're all part of the same mind or consciousness. We're all from the same spark or the same light that created everything. So when you learn to see people that way, you can have more compassion and empathy for them. And part of the reason why is because you can see yourself in them. So naturally, you want to help them in any way that you can. It really gets you out of yourself and getting wrapped up in your own life and your own dramas so that you can be more responsive to the people in your environment. And Casey says that this is really the point of, uh, there are other points like, you know, what you can learn and grow and experience, but it's also to be of service. And he repeated that over and over again, help your fellow man. he was a follower of Jesus. And he said that it really comes down to two things. There one thing that was in two parts that Jesus said, said, love your God and love your fellow man, love your neighbor. And everything else falls into place. Just do those two things. And God, well, you know, God can wait, you know, God put us here together as human beings so that we can mm-hmm. love each other and we can have relationships with each other. And those relationships end up being what's most important in the end. And loving each other is almost is the same as loving God. Yes, that's right. So begin with that. You know, Jesus put it in the order according to the records of love God and love your neighbor. But you know, if if God could come in and put a little correction in there, He would say, "Well, why don't you just love your neighbor and everything else will figure. You know, everything else will fall into place." Yeah. Um, so. How did Edgar Casey kind of like like I know he's in a trance and people were sending him letters. I mean, what was it people that were sending him letters asking him about his past lives? Or was that just something that come up as he was answering other people's questions? It came up as he was answering the questions. He would sometimes, it really where it began in in my memory is that it began with him identifying that current issues going on in the person's life were related to things that came out of past lives. That let's say that there was um, a medical issue that was going on, you know, like let's say that the person um, had a bad limp, a lot of leg pain. 
And the doctors can't really isolate, you know, what it is, what's going on with this person that's making their leg hurt so much and it's giving them this limp. And then Casey, while in that trance, would see something, just say, for example, that in a past life that they had received a bad injury in, while fighting in combat in a war or they fell off a horse or something like that and they received a bad leg injury and let's say it was fatal. And so that thing has carried over into this life with the leg problems that they're having. He found many medical issues um, for people in their present lives that were actually related to past lives. And so in order to treat the issue, the person needed to go into the past life to be able to find the source of it and address it at its source that no amount of treatments or medicine or seeing different doctors or whatever was going to fix the problem because there was a deeper source to it. It was actually a problem that was in spirit and that that person needed to, um, um, that, that person needed to address it at its source. You know, here's something, Gary, well, before we move on, I just remembered mm -hmm. something from a book that I read about him. Um, Casey had started getting known in the town that he lived in um, for his ability to come up with these um, holistic treatments, naturopathic treatments for um, physical ailments. And there was a conventional allopathic doctor that was in the town that heard about him and started having these conversations with Casey. The doctor, having grown up in the, you know, and being trained in traditional medicine was very skeptical, but he kept seeing over and over again, the results of it. And he's like, well, you know, you, you judge a tree by its fruit and Edgar Casey is bearing some good fruit, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe this until I see something, you know, that really convinces me. Well, there was a member of the town who was, he was a very prominent um, member of the community um, a very large, robust man. They were on a construction work site type of place, and he had a traumatic injury to his leg, and it busted out his knee. And um, people came to Casey to see if he could help, and Casey instructed the doctor how to repair the guy's knee. And it was the first um, recorded... Um, uh, I want an orthoscopic surgery. So Casey actually taught him how to repair the guy's knee. It was like back then, if you blew out your ACL, you know, that's it. You know, you, you're, you're never going to walk correctly again. And um, Casey actually taught the doctor how to do it. And then the doctor wrote it up for some medical journals. And that was the beginning of the wider fame that Casey um, gained because the doctor was able to bring his own testimony um, and his write-up of, of what he did under Casey's instruction to pioneer a new medical procedure. So, um, and then that's what got, that, that ended up getting out into the newspapers and stuff like that. And then Casey's um, fame took root, but that was the beginning of it. And it's, yeah, it's just one of, of hundreds of times, thousands of times that Casey came up with things that were um, astounding and then later proven to be correct. 
you know, another thing that he predicted, this was when, when you can predict something in science, when you right. can make a prediction and then that prediction is proven correct. This is how, this is the gold standard in science for saying that a theory or a concept or something is true. And one of the things that Casey predicted years before it actually occurred was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the existence of a Jewish sect known as the Essenes. Back then, what we knew of recorded in the Bible, there were two Jewish sects that we, we probably all heard of. They were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus had a lot of really uh, harsh things to say about them in general. Um, <laughs> and um, he, um, what Casey said is, is that um, Jesus and his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, were members of a sect known as the Essenes. And the Essenes um, were a spiritual community that were, um, they existed to bring the Messiah into the world. And the, but the point being that the thing that was proven was that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, this group that was lost to history, known as the Essenes, were talked about in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In fact, they're the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So these were things that he um, predicted would come about. Um, he also said in 1958 that there would be um, a discovery that would be the first one leading to Atlantis. And in 1958, there was the discovery of the Bimini Road um, down in the Bahamas. Um, it's been written off as a structure that's a natural formation. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's you know made of these rectangular cut blocks that are more than a mile long, and they sure you know like stacked together. It's more than a mile long, um, or around a mile, um, and um, they are along the uh, seabed, and they sure look a lot like a road. Um, but, um, you know, of course, it's just a natural formation. Um, but these were things that he predicted. Now, there are other things that he predicted that have not come to pass. He's very famous for predicting that the United States would go through cataclysmic geographical changes. Um, he predicted basically the idea that California would break off into the Pacific Ocean. Um, this idea has been floating around for decades, and you could say that the origins of this idea is with Edgar Casey, because what he predicted about the whole west coast of the United States going through a cataclysmic geographic change. These things have not come to pass, and he said, if I remember correctly, he predicted that it would be in the 1990s. Now, that has given critics a lot of fuel to say, well, he was wrong about that. Well, what else was he wrong about? But there was a big well, earthquake then. Yeah. And the one that knocked here, down that bridge and killed all those people. Also, the one during in San Francisco during um, the uh, World Series. Well, mm -hmm. here was the thing is people started coming to Edgar and asking him all kinds of crazy questions that got him out of his comfort zone. You know, he was best as somebody who could talk about the health of body, mind, and spirit. And any subject related to that, he was, he was spot on. But people started coming to him and getting him to speculate about all kinds of different things that, you know, and he felt like he needed to give them an answer. Even though he was in a trance state, there was still a part of him that couldn't turn anyone away. And so he started making some predictions and stuff that didn't come to pass. 
And the, you know, he also said that time, even when you predict things that are going to happen in the future, it, time isn't, it isn't always going to work out that way. That it's, it's a prediction, it's not a prophecy. And that things can change between the time that the prediction is made until the foretold time when it's supposed to come about that make it not happen or to happen in a different sort of way. So there's nothing saying that Casey was going to be 100% accurate about those things, especially when he was being asked questions that got him out of his comfort zone. But but he did talk about some some I mean like the, all that stuff about Egypt. That's pretty pretty radical stuff, and it's being borne out by yeah. um, recent discoveries. You know, I still I, I ran across something the other day that gave the t- standard story about the construction of the Sphinx. You know, it was four thousand five hundred years ago, and it was made in such and such a way, et cetera, et cetera. Well. There was um, a scientist who um, went to Egypt and took a look at the base of the Sphinx, and he saw the water marks that are on the, the, the foundation of it. We're talking massive, massive stone blocks. And you can see the water erosion. And that scientist said, you know, this could only happen through centuries of repeated um, exposure to fastly to to quickly running water, and so what they speculated is is that it was the result of flooding. Well, they looked through the geographic record for the last time that the area um, had enough moisture that the um, that part of the Giza plateau could be underwater, and it was ten thousand years ago. So you know the you were still even though there is. Uh, plenty of scientific evidence for uh, redating the Sphinx and the pyramids. That information, that data is willfully ignored by the orthodox um, scientific establishment. They don't want to admit that their theories have been wrong. And remember, anytime you're dating something that's thousands of years old, it's just going to be a theory even when you have something like carbon sampling, you know, they took carbon samples around the pyramids to be able to date it to around 4,500 years ago. Well, those carbon samples were of the surface of the pyramid and the renovations that were done. They were not of the original structure itself, which was, according to Casey, built around 10,000 or 12,000 years ago. So, when he talks about make you know the the you know ancient society being more advanced than what we imagine them being um does he mention like like other civilizations outside of egypt like like just pyramids all around the world you know yeah. um like you know the ones in the yucatan and you know, other places does he ever give a reason why people built these things well, he, um, they were one temples. They were not, um, they were not burial, uh, sites. 
In fact, there's never been a pharaoh found inside of the um, of uh, the pyramids. So you know, uh, they try to claim that like the Great Pyramid was a burial chamber, and you go, well, where's the body? Um, <laughs> the um, and this has been borne out. He said that the um, pyramids were these, um, uh, they were basically energetic structures that used um, ritual and sound for healing and spiritual purposes. Um, and this has been borne out um, in the Great um, Pyramid. There is a chamber inside of there that is the king's chamber, or it's the, sorry, um, it's a resonance chamber. You, it has a very special structure to it. And if you see the videos, there was a famous um, singer. She's the, um, God, the name just blew out of my head. Um, she's the uh, wife of the mogul, was it Dr. Dre? Um, oh, Beyonce? Beyonce? Beyonce, yeah. She went to, um, there's video of this. Um, you can find it on YouTube. Um, just do Beyonce Great Pyramid. Um, where she goes, she's taken inside of the Great Pyramid and she's taken into that resonance structure and she sings, she starts singing. And the power, I mean, the lady already has a beautiful voice, the power of the sound, the way that it is amplified by that chamber, you can feel it resonate through your entire body and that's listening to it on computer speakers geez, can you imagine being inside of that chamber? <laughs> so it appears that they were doing some, they were doing very interesting things with it. Um, Edgar Cayce said that the Great Pyramid, it's specifically, was used um, as a initiation um, temple that the um, initiates into the higher knowledge that they taught. And when, when we talk about the advanced knowledge that they taught in ancient Egypt, this was mostly spiritual and psychic knowledge. And Casey said that both John the Baptist and Jesus were initiates who went through a sort of final initiation in the Great Pyramid. There is a massive um, sarcophagus uh, in the heart of the Great Pyramid. And Casey said that the ritual was that they would put the initiate into the sarcophagus that they would cover it with this massive stone slab and that they were left there in complete silence and darkness. And then the power of the, um, of the pyramid, its ability to be able to channel energy and sound was used to, for the initiate to have out-of-body experience in ways that you know, are uh, profoundly effective. Now, you probably already know when you're an initiate, before you've gotten that far, you've already had out-of-body experiences. You've mastered these, you know, these, these abilities to understand yourself as a spiritual being separate from your body. But apparently, the experience that you would have in that complete silence and darkness in the heart of the Great Pyramid was so profound that you emerged from it as a different person. And... Casey said that when Jesus emerged from his initiation in the Great Pyramids, that he went on to um, Palestine and began his ministry as Jesus of Nazareth. So, yeah, 
Um, he and John the Baptist and many others, um, but he's, those were the two that Casey was um, that mentioned in his readings. So yeah, man, the pyramids were, uh, there were a lot of very interesting things that they did with them, and they were not just monuments. They were not just um, great big uh, tombs. They were actually um, temples, and they were used for um, various purposes for spiritual advancement and healing. So it sounds like they're, they're, they're somehow able to manipulate energies that, spiritual energies that we're not able to currently do right currently do right now it almost sounds like um like an isolation tank but like yeah but like a super powerful mind-blowing isolation tank yeah that's right and it's drawing on current that is coming up through the earth there's something that is missing from the current um, Great Pyramid and the other pyramids in, in Giza. There's a very critical thing that is missing that powered those things up. It's running water. Underneath the Great Pyramids, there was water that ran. And that this was um, a way for drawing, like mixing the energies together so that it would power up the pyramids. The pyramids now are dormant. Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have the water running underneath them. Now, what mm -hmm. researchers have found, they found the channels that the water used to run through at the base of the pyramids underneath them. Um, but the, of course, that water source is dried up and it's not running through it anymore. So it would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. Divert some water. And it reminds me too of like the, <laughs> the pyramids in the Yucatan too. A lot of them are built on top of or near cenotes. Yes. Yeah. And they have water sources running underneath them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is apparently uh, some kind of a way of channeling um, the energy of the earth um, through uh, channeling it to the structure. And then the structure itself does things to fo highly focus that energy, which is why the pyramids are constructed the way that they are. Now, here's one that I, from having watched a few episodes of Ancient Aliens, which is, uh, you know, the, the History Channel show where oh, yeah. everything, well, it could be aliens, <laughs> right? Well, they, they've talked about pyramids a number of times and they've said, well, you know, the aliens, because they could go around the world. They taught civilizations around the world how to build these pyramids. And I look at it and I go, well, wait a minute. If you were building a massive structure out of rock, before you had, you know, steel beams and cranes and modern construction methods, and you wanted that thing to hold up, well, how would you do it? And the most obvious means is to build it as a pyramid, because if you build it as a rectangle, the damn thing's going to fall over. So I think there are times that we have to use our common sense and say, well, you know, a pyramid is also the most stable structure that you can build using, you know, the materials and methods that were available at the time. But I do also know that there were other things that were going on in those pyramids that they were used for other purposes than just as megalithic structures and that you know part of that part of the purpose of them was for what casey said which is they were used for um spiritual practice and for healing interesting and um 
Like it, it seems like though they they did still have some type of technology that we don't have today to build them. Yeah, um, and I don't remember anything specifically from the Casey readings going into how the the technology that was that was used to build them. Right. Um, anything I speculated on at this point would be things that I've heard from other sources, such as using um, sound to levitate objects or to um, cancel the effects of gravity, so that you could have what's a hundred ton stone block and you can lift it. Um, because you've got a technology that is um, based on sound um, and it cancels the effects of gravity, which, by the way, there are now Navy patents out of the Office of Advanced uh, Naval War- uh, Advanced Warfare um, out of the Navy. There are a number of patents that have been issued for um, um, uh, machines that are replicating or using some of these fundamentals. Um, for um, super advanced Star Trek level um, technologies. And these things are being patented. I have read the patents and they, the claims that they make about the breakthroughs that they've made in technology. Um, uh, using Some of it using sound and also generating various types of electromagnetic fields. Um, and um, they, they're, they're doing things that it's going to, Basically, we are headed toward a future that's a lot like Star Trek, the ability to travel at near light speed, um, the, um, the ability to have weapons that make nuclear bombs look like firecrackers. I mean, the, the, the destructive power of some of these things, um, the Death Star type of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, the we point don't need being a, is... We don't need weapons. <laughs> yeah, boy. You know, give a man a rock and see how much damage he can do. You know? yeah. But the point being is, is that they're using part of what they're doing with these advanced um, technologies that are uh, on the very bleeding edge of, of what we're doing now are originating with the manipulation of sound and vibration. And this is what Casey was talking about was being done in ancient Egypt and in other societies such as in ancient um, Atlantis. Um, He said that they had the ability to do things that you might call advanced technology. But remember, we're not talking about, um, you know, computers and electric cars here. We're talking about a different type, a whole different basis for technology that is um, through the mind's ability to be able to manipulate matter. Um, it's, it's through spiritual and psychic ability as opposed to just through um, the ability to make a machine that can do something outstanding. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, does he ever address like the origin of the human race? Yeah, he does. Um, he said that now we need to trace back from, uh, from Atlantis and go back to there was Lemuria And then there was um, a civilization before then. We're talking about global civilizations that were highly advanced. And he said that in each incarnation, as you go further and further back in time, that the beings, the human beings that were in that civilization were more and more spiritual, that they were less um, bodily, even though they had bodies, but you can think of it as density as we our modern incarnation in body in matter is very very dense and our mm-hmm. vibration is very low 
go back to the Atlanteans with the previous incarnation of humans and they, the vibration is higher and the matter is less dense and there's more spirit. I don't want to say more spirit infused in the body, but there's more capacity for expressing the spirit in the human body because it is less dense and vibrating higher. Then you right. go back to the Lemurians. And he said that you now when you talk about the Lemurians, you're talking about a human species or race that was even um, less dense and vibrating at a higher level and capable of expressing more of the spirit through matter. And then it goes back even further. He said the original humans were basically a group in spirit that discovered this realm as we were, as we, and I say humans, including the original humans, were basically beings of pure spirit and that we were exploring creation and we got to earth and discovered this amazing place. And we started using our spiritual abilities to manifest ourselves in the creatures that existed on the planet. So they're evolving up, they're part of nature, they're part of the planet, the life on the planet and the way that it developed. And we're talking about somewhere in the range of a million years ago. And that we started manifesting ourselves into the bodies of these creatures because we could have these amazing new experiences. Remember, we're eternal spiritual beings in you know, a universe that is endless because creation is endless. So we're running around just looking for new experience. And, you know, it's kind of like you take a kid into Toys R Us and say, you know, we'll find, find the next thing to do, kid. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> and we discover this place called Earth and it's like this new toy and we're able to have these amazing experiences. And Casey said what happened is, is that after a while, we forgot that we were spiritual beings. We, we, forgot that we forgot what our origins were. We forgot that we were only supposed to be here temporarily, that it was just a stopping point for us, and that we became enmeshed into matter. Spirit became more and more enmeshed in matter to the point where we are to, you know, to this day, where as beings that exist inside of bodies, for most of us, it is it's next to impossible to imagine ourselves as spiritual beings that can pop in and out of a body at will. That the body is not the being. The body is just the vessel to contain the being and that it's life and spirit that is the true life. And what Casey says is, is that we are now um, evolving out of that so that we've kind of gone about as low and dense as we can go mm -hmm. and that we are now on a trajectory where we are reversing that. Oh, that's a relief. But, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but he says there's no guarantee that we have basically trapped ourselves here and that we're trying to figure out a way out and that there's no guarantee that we will but that beings such as Jesus and other great spiritual teachers are 
the messengers who are trying to remind us of what we really are as spiritual beings so that we will figure this out, how to get ourselves out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. So this would be sort of, I guess, what they call is the process of ascension. Ascending, yeah. And we went through a process of descending and now we're, we're going through a process also of ascension where we realize ourselves as spiritual beings again. Um, there's something else that for anybody who's, you know, really interested in the subject that I think is a critical piece of information to realize is, is that um, we shouldn't be expecting a Messiah to come back and save us from our own folly. That the literal incarnation of a Messiah in a form of a second coming, such as a Jesus, but there's also, when you, when you study messiahs, you realize that all major religions have their own version of the same story, that one of the great figures, spiritual figures of the past, whether it's Buddha or Muhammad um, or Krishna, um, I might be hacking up, I forget which mm-hmm. one, the call, they call it the Kalki in uh, Hindu, but there's also hundreds of, of uh, iterations of the same story where there's a messiah that returns in the flesh to save humanity in its darkest hour. Well, here's a piece of information that I got either directly from Casey or as an extension of what I learned from him. The second coming is a coming in spirit. And it's a spirit that's expressed in all of us. It's us ascending through learning or relearning what we really are as spiritual creatures and bringing more and more of that expression into ourselves as human beings in our lives and in our persons. We have to save ourselves Gary, we can't wait around for a Messiah to do this. And each of us individually can be part of this process by advancing ourselves spiritually. And this is what I tell my friends and others, what I share with them when they say that the world looks like it's hopeless. And what can one person do in the face of all of the problems that we've created for ourselves? And I say, man, you don't need to save the freaking world. You need to save yourself. And you are actually, that's not just a platitude. There is a truth to it that we each, as we raise our consciousness, that it comes together in a collective consciousness and that each person raising their own consciousness has a net effect on the whole. It actually raises the vibrations and the awareness level and the spiritual level of everyone. So if you can be just responsible for yourself and do what you can for the people around you to mainly through your own example and maybe through direct teaching, but mostly through your own example of how to live an exemplary spiritual life and how to raise your own consciousness and vibration. That is how in the end we're going to save the world. But maybe we're going to have to go even further into this nasty dark, chaos that we've created for ourselves before we realize what we're doing to ourselves and that we actually have the power to turn this thing around. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know for me, like I was hoping like the Nazis were our, our lowest point, <laughs> you know, but, and, and every, everything, everything from there would be uphill. <laughs> yeah. You know, you would hope, but the thing, and let me go off on a little tangent here, Gary, is 
We, um, we won the military war in World War II, and we lost the ideological war. And what I mean by that is, is that Nazism and fascism um, basically went underground and has found a new expression in the world now. Um, the leaders of, of the, the Nazi leaders went to other places. They were the rats jumping ship when they realized they were going to lose the military war. They started leaving and they used multinational corporations and intelligence services as their means to do it. So um, they preserved their ideology. And what they did was they created a force in the world that is similar to um, the um, 007s in those books, um, which the books, by the way, Ian Fleming was an intelligence agent, a British intelligence agent before he was an author. And uh -huh. he came up with an idea of an organization called Spectre. And in the books, and then later in the movies, Spectre was an international power that was not tied to any one place. It was not tied to any one government. Spectre had its power because they had their people inside of government and intelligence agencies and military. They had them inside of, um, of corporations, inside of uh, banking centers, any, basically any center of power. Spectre got their own people in there and corrupted them from the inside out. And I think that what we are experiencing now is that this ideology continued to exist after World War II, that the, you know, we destroyed Germany and the German military, but the Nazis survived. And they basically infiltrated into Western and Eastern um, governments and continued to plot the Fourth Reich and in fact, if you read the book, The Fourth Reich by um, Jim Mars, he gives uh, uh, the trail of evidence that he followed to this. There is actually a trail of evidence. We know that there are a lot of Nazis that went to places like Argentina. Um, but what we don't realize is, is that they infiltrated around the world, that fascism continued. And a lot of what we're seeing today the dysfunction in our society and the globalist um, power structure using uh, multinational corporations as the basis of their power actually originated with the Nazis. And we've now instituted their vision um, and it's gradually changing. They gave us one thing. They said, oh, you can have all this progress and you know, economic um, uh, prosperity, but you got to allow these corporations to have more and more power. And you've got to allow your governments to have more and more power over the rights and, and, and liberties of its citizens. And gradually what's happened is a sort of bait and switch that we haven't gotten all the things that we were promised. Um, but what we have been given is an erosion of our liberties and the creation of a corporate power structure that is worldwide and able to override the power of any given government. So we really have to look at that as the uh, origins of it. Um, I will look up his name here. There is a scholar who traced this back and it's on a program called Thinking Aloud. And um, his name is Jason Reza something. Um, let me see if I can find it. You can go ahead and ask the next question there and I'll see if I can find it. I was just thinking, like, I'm going to have to go back and, and read that book by Jim. 
Yeah, the Fourth Reich. I've read some of his. I used to talk to him on a website on abovetopsecret.com. He was an awesome guy. Yeah, he was. We also share the same um, literary agent. Um, so I, I didn't ever get to know him personally, um, but I started reading his work. I mean, my, my agent is, a, she's a really, uh-huh. um, you know, awesome person. And um, she's um, got a lot of um, um, outside the box thinkers into the um, world of publishing. She was basically, she's opened up the door for them. Um, and, um, um, Jim Mars was one of those people that went through my agent and, um, was brought to the world. Dean Radin, the scientist who's studied psychic phenomena, my agent is, you know, we share the same agent. So yeah, Jim Mars, man, um, great journalist. Yeah, and by the way, awesome. um, his name is Jason Reza, R-E-Z-A, Giorgiani, J-O-R-J-A-N-I. And he has an episode on thinking aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D. So you're allowed to think. Um, and it's on, he has a YouTube channel. Um, Jeffrey Mishlove is the host of the show. And the episode is called The Breakaway Civilization. He's, this is why I, I want to refer you to him because um, um, Jason Giorzani is a scholar. Um, he's, he's got a PhD. He's written a lot of books. He's very well respected as a philosopher. Um, and he brought this information out after from his own research of things, such as Operation Paperclip, where we brought over the um, um, Nazi uh, scientists. And there was another operation where we basically imported the um, Nazi intelligence structure that was in the East in, in Russia. And we imported them and fused them with our own central intelligence agency as it was being founded. Um, the father of our um, of our space um, exploration, von Braun. Um, yeah, Werner von Braun was um, a high. He was high up in the Nazis, and he was a true believer. But when they lost the war, they were happy to come over here to the United States and accept our hospitality. But they were still Nazis, and we imported them and gave them positions in the very highest levels of um, military intelligence, space exploration. Um, and then they also infiltrated in the very highest levels of banking, government, and other places. Um, so um, Jason Giorgiani um, has spoken extensively about that, and he he lays out the evidence better than I am, um, where he can actually cite documents, he can cite scholars, he can cite works that, you know, historical facts. And it's in that um, episode of The Breakaway Civilization, which, by the way, um, got him... Um, uh, shunned out of the academic world. The man can't find a job anymore because well, he dared to speak the truth. I'm going to have to contact him and see if I can get him on my podcast. Do, do. He's, he's fascinating. Yeah, he, he's so well-spoken and intelligent. You should contact him. I definitely will. Yeah. Hopefully he's still out there talking because he, he really had the hurt put on him to get him to shut up. Mm. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no kidding, man. But I, I um, also think though, like, like that's why the spiritual working on the spiritual side of things is so important because that can't be defeated. No, no. I mean, they will. The people who are working for the other side will be happy to let you sit there and you know pray and raise your consciousness as they run rampant over the planet and use force 
to get their way you know right. the point of a gun you know uh, uh they'll they'll go to any lengths i mean they're they're psychopathic and they're evil and uh, uh the very definition of the word evil um they they will they taking other people's lives or destroying lives is is no they have there's there's no conscience in them so um but i think that yes in the end that the only solution to this is a spiritual solution this power that has this parasitic power which has taken over our entire global civilization is way too entrenched and, and wields way too much force for any individual or group of individuals to be able to stand against them it'll just get you killed so I, my advice is, is that go back to what i said before and and they'll ignore you as long as you're just saying hey i'm going to raise my own vibration i'm going to raise my own consciousness level there's a spiritual solution to it and as long as you don't make too many waves they won't pay much attention to you because you're not a threat to them right. because they don't think that it's possible right but we but, but if enough people do it it becomes part of a collective on a higher frequency yeah, I'm giving away the secret. Not that it was that big of a secret, but this is what this is what we're trying to do: is each individual raises their own frequency and vibration by living up to their own ideals and improving themselves spiritually by loving their neighbor, expressing that love through their being and through their lives and through their actions, and that that is what, in the end, is going to cause a turning point or a tipping point. This was something that it goes back to Casey. Also, you know, he. He said that humanity was facing a crisis of its own making and that the spiritual solution was the only solution to it. But we're now finding that there's, you know, there's some scientific basis for this. If you go back to Rupert Sheldrake's morphic resonance field, he says that all members of a species have a resonance field between them where information passes back and forth between them without having to have direct contact. This goes back to the hundredth monkey theory and your readers will have to just kind of delve into that. <laughs> but, ba but basically what it says is the theory is, in, is that when enough members of a species make a superior adaptation, that there's a tipping point that's reached where that adaptation spreads to all members of the species in a very short amount of time. And what we need to see is, is that the adaptation that we can make to bring forth more of our spiritual selves will improve our lives individually and improve our lives collectively. And the paradigm that we live under right now, which is referred to as um, uh, rational materialism, it says that there is no such thing as spirit, that you are a biological meat puppet, that everything can be explained through cause and effect, that there's nothing more than that, and that you should stop looking because you're not going to find anything. Um, and that is the paradigm that we've been living under. But it makes a huge assumption which is that there is a separation between the observer and the subject that, and, and the subject being observed that is a hundred percent separation that the observer can be, you know, this clinical eye with its magnifying glass that can test and measure and experiment. And the one who is doing the observing has absolutely no effect on the subject of observation. 
but we're finding out that this is not true, that there, there's a fundamental flaw in our scientific method, and that's what it is, and that we are now finding out that, and we know at a quantum mechanical level, that the thing that is being observed responds to the fact that it is being observed. And whether that is an electron or a particle of some other type um, or a creature, maybe even think of a lab rat, mm -hmm. that you can actually get your results from experiments that you want because the experimenter is influencing the experiment itself. Right, simply by so, observing it. Yes, simply by observing it. So the, the ramifications of this change in the way that we understand ourselves and the way that we interact with our world is what could change us from a scientific viewpoint also. There is a fusion happening right now at the very highest levels of some science. Some scientists, individuals, are realizing that these spiritual truths are also metaphysical truths that they are actually physical they're even deeper than metaphysical they're 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 they're, they're truths that happen and express themselves through matter through physics through physical expression that we can see it and know it mo through our science if we will adapt our science to the fact that there were things that we couldn't account for when we came up with the scientific method which has definitely advanced us in many ways and helped us get past these superstitions that we were caught in. They've helped us to understand matter and the world in the ways that have advanced ourselves so much, but we've reached the limits of it. And through this fusion of science and spiritual understanding, I think that we will be able to create a way for everyone to experience the things that only the mystics and the prophets and people like Edgar Cayce have been able to experience up to this point in our existence as human beings. I totally agree with you. Right on, bro. <laughs> but it just makes so much sense. You know, everything is connected. It is. And, 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 and everything affects something else. It, it does. It, we, we can't think of ourselves as living in isolation anymore. We can't think that our actions don't affect the whole, that you can do something as an individual and that it doesn't matter what you do because it's not going to affect anyone else. Um, it, it's, we're, we're finding out that this is fundamentally untrue and it might even be a great lie that we have been, have been foisted on us by some type of parasite which has infected our minds. Um, it's, it's called um, uh, Wetiko is a term that's been given to it um, by a guy named Paul Levy. And I suggest you look him up also to have him on your podcast because he understands this a lot better than I do. But he says that we've, we've been infected through our minds to believe things that are untrue. That, which that's actually something I've been to, researching to get on my show too. The idea great. of a mind virus. That's that Paul, it's called Wetiko. Um, Paul Levy wrote a book about it and he talks about it extensively. Um, I read his book, The Quantum Revelation, and I've watched a lot of interviews with him where he's talked about other subjects. And uh, um, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant thinker and he's one of the people who's bringing this knowledge to us that we don't live in a vacuum 
that our actions were part of an interdependent system with each other and with our planet. And we, our actions have consequences that we can no longer live and act in ways where we think that, um, are, that are, that it doesn't affect anyone else because it really does. And in a way you could say that we're all dragging each other down right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I watched that debate last night. This is, um, you know, the end of, um, of September right now when we're recording this. And I watched that presidential debate last night. And I'm like, my God, all of the people who are watching this are just being bombarded with these negative vibes. I mean, it's just bringing us down. Yeah, it was, it, that was yeah. a tough one to watch. <laughs> yeah, oh, painful. And, 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 you know, and one of the things too, like, because I do this podcast, I talk to people all around the world. And one of the things that that, that, that kind of, surprised me was you know i'm saying like oh okay it, it, it is whatever happens it's just affecting the united states and then i have a friend in, in um, australia she was really upset about it and i said well, why are you upset you're in australia you don't have to deal with our our, our politics and she goes oh yes we we if the united states falls then the, you know the world's going to become russia and china and i'm like yeah Huh. Well, and we, I, we I never really considered that. Yeah, <laughs> as an American, and we and when we used to be the you know the 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 shining example, and the you know the the world's example of what it means to be free and to grant citizens their not to grant to recognize their inborn liberties that they possess simply because they're human beings, and we've changed so much since we no longer had to be the good guy because we were being uh, contrasted with the bad guy, which was the Eastern Bloc in Russia and China. And once the Eastern Bloc fell and the America emerged as the world's superpower, the, um, the, the, it, it changed. And we found out that maybe we were never what we really thought that we were or that there was some kind of a parasite it was working from inside of us the whole time to be able to change us in ways that we would have never agreed to if we knew that it was happening. But that has happened to us. Yeah. And we've been changed into something that we would have never thought that we were going to be. And I think that that is the evidence. Um, we can see it the way that this tree is bearing fruit, that it's rotten at its core. And if I was the rest of the world, I would be afraid too because there is no power that can stand up to the military and economic uh, and political cultural power that this country possesses. And if we run completely off the rails, which if we think it's bad now, you just wait and see what's, what could happen, um, then that's it. You're talking about a worldwide dark age. And you know, I don't want to talk too much about that because it brings us down. We're talking about Edgar right. Casey. He was a man who said that in the end, and let's 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 end it on this note. Casey said that in the end, we'll get to where we're supposed to be, one way or another. That's and it. One way or another, man. <laughs> the light will always express itself. That we are spiritual beings having a human experience, and that in the end, that the light will triumph because it's what we are outside of this dualistic reality where everything is split into opposites, the reality that underlies it is one of unity. 
And that is, that is the truth that can never be squashed or avoided or denied because it is a fundamental truth of what reality, what underlies the reality that we know, that it's all unity. So, and in that unity is one consciousness, one mind, and, you know, that's, that's our creator and it's there for us whenever we want to find it. That's it. Everybody, all my listeners, do the right thing and everything will be okay. Yeah. Live your life the best you can. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about. Awesome. Awesome. Anytime, Um, man. Right on, man. EdgarCasey.reddit.com. Anybody out there who's a fan of of Casey, I could really use some help over there. There's a lot of materials about Casey that are out there from quotes to videos and journal articles and, you know, resources and stuff. And just people who have learned from Casey and his teachings who can be members of the community. And we need the younger generations that you find mostly at Reddit to know about Casey. And that means I need people there to be active in that community, to share what they know and share their experiences. And um, it's still a community that's getting off the ground, but it has a lot of potential. So show up there and just start posting and talking and hopefully we'll see more of you there. All right. Well, thanks thanks for coming on and just uh, hang on one second. I want to talk to you off the air for a moment. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle, which I will be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com and Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.